Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Court Today replay on C103. This is Court Today. Court Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good morning to you on the Friday of a bank holiday weekend and by God are our thoughts with the people of New Zealand and uh, Christchurch this morning. What shocking, shocking story is unfolding from uh, Christchurch. Michael has already been on to say, Patricia, our thoughts and prayers go to the family and friends of this horrendous act in New Zealand on innocent people gathered peacefully to simply say their prayers. Acts of that nature cannot and should not, should not be tolerated anywhere in the world uh, today and uh, the information that's coming out so far from New Zealand as we've been hearing on all of our news bulletins this morning two crowded mosques were attacked in uh, Christchurch it was during Friday afternoon prayers New Zealand would be 13 hours ahead of us so I think it was about 20 to 2 Friday afternoon was when the attacks started Uh, we're hearing now 49 people have died it's been described as their Prime Minister as one of New Zealand's darkest days. The Al Noor Mosque is in central Christchurch that was full of worshippers when the attack happened and then there was a second mosque which was out in a, a suburb of Christchurch called Linwood. 41 people died in the Al Noor Mosque Seven people have been reported to have died in the Linwood Mosque and there is a 49th victim but unclear where that person was uh, killed. And I think what really made this such a horrific, sick attack was the gunman broadcasted live footage on Facebook of the attack. He obviously had some kind of a GoPro camera with him and as he was going around one of the mosques just indiscriminately shooting. He was streaming it live on uh, Facebook and previous to that he had published this sick manifesto in which he was denouncing all uh, immigrants. Um, Police then were urging all mosques across New Zealand to simply shut their doors in wake of the incident because they didn't know if this guy was part of a cell, was there other uh, involved. All we know is that he uh, so far a man in his late 20s has been charged. He hasn't been identified yet even though I did hear on some other news streams earlier on that he is an an Australian man in his 20s but as yet yet he hasn't been uh, identified obviously New Zealand have been placed on the highest security 
threat level which still remains in place. The New Zealand Health Authorities, they say on top of the 49 people that have died, 48 people, including children, are being treated for injuries ranging from minor to uh, critical injuries. Witnesses spoke of seeing bloodied bodies with children also believed to be amongst those have died. And the police are warning of extremely distressing footage of the incident which is circling on the internet and as we heard in our news bulletin there with with Barry in Australia and of course that message goes out across the world they're asking people to stop sharing and circulating those posts because so so distressing on all of the families Uh, so thoughts our thoughts and prayers with everybody in New Zealand and we have a lot of Irish people and a lot of Cork people who have gone to New Zealand and have made New Zealand their home. And if you talk to anyone, uh, in, I mean, I have friends who live in New Zealand and they talk about the wonderful, relaxed pace of life. And the and a couple of years ago, uh, a friend of mine, her daughter, who was living in, uh, in New Zealand, uh, came back home to get married. And there was people from New Zealand came back for the wedding and they were just the nicest, nicest, friendliest people. But just this lovely, relaxed atmosphere in the country and just people talk about it. Anyone that has moved there to live, they talk about, you know, just what a nice, safe place it is to live. And certainly none of them feeling very safe this morning. So we, we think of them all. 1850 John Paul taking your calls this morning. You can text your WhatsApp 86 to 103 103. By the way, if you have a particular consumer question, get it into us because in a couple of minutes, one of our first interviews of the day uh, is going to be about World Consumer Rights Day. So we're talking around consumer issues. How good are we when it comes to consumer issues? Do we know what we are entitled to, what we're not entitled to? Are there a lot of myths around do we think we're entitled to something then it turns out, oh well, no, we're not. But if you have a consumer question, get it in. And actually when I mentioned it earlier when I was teeing up the programme with uh, Simon I'm assuming that's what prompted Irene in Mitchellstown to ask what I think is a really good question and something we have been dealing with quite a lot on the programme and it is the problem some customers who are consumers are having trying to get on to companies like Air where you ring the number and they give you all of these options press one, two, three or four you can never get through to a human being and then if you do get through to a human being you'll either get transferred back onto some kind of an answering machine again or else the call gets disconnected and the frustration people are feeling trying to get whatever problem they have with Air sorted and, and I wonder uh, will the Consumer um, Commission have a view on that. I certainly will put that question. That's a really good uh, question. Thank you for that, um, Ivy. We're going to discuss why the Gira Woodlands needs to be designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site. This is an amazing old woodlands that we have here in our midst. And we know, because we've done interviews on it, we had local people who were so upset because there was felling of trees in the Gira. And it's an ancient woodland. And if you go in, and butcher was the word that was used with some of the felling of the trees, that old woodland, an ancient woodland, will never, ever come back uh, again. And we, when we looked into it before, we found out that there'd been a licence, forestry licence granted, 
from the Department of Agriculture. Now I know when there was, certainly we got involved and there was a lot of other media campaign and local people got involved to say we need to stop whatever is going on in the Gira and in the woodlands there and, and look at what's been done and there had been a licence and I know it got suspended. I don't know where we're at with that particular licence because the licence was there to fell more trees. Now there's the big push to go to UNESCO, get them to look at the woodlands in the Gira and for once and for all designated a World Heritage Site because if it gets designated a World Heritage Site huge amount of protection will come with it and we need to be protecting these heritage uh, sites for us to enjoy but also for us to pass on to future generations. You know, I always think about future generations, our grandchildren and our grandchildren's grandchildren. Will they look back at us and think, why did nobody shout stop? Why did nobody protect a structure like this? So we're going to talk about that on the programme today. What needs to be done to speed up survival test results? It seems now we're somewhere around, well, for some women, and I don't know if it's for all women, we're somewhere around the 27 weeks for a wait. You go today to get your smear. We we know we are constantly, as women, being encouraged to go to regularly get our smears. We know that smear tests have saved lives, can save li- lives and will sa- save lives. We need people to trust in the system that's in place. The system got certainly got rocked with the cervical check scandal from last year and the year before. And then People want confidence again, but we still, even in the midst of all of the scandal uh, that was going on, I remember like Emma Vic Mahuna, who sadly is no longer with us, and Vicky Phelan. I remember all of them saying, please, to women, do not stop going for your smears. You need to go for your smears. They were saying, look, what went wrong with us is tragic and uh, and, and poor Vic, poor um, Emma Vic Mahuna lost her life o- over it. But they, as women, were saying, even though they were fighting the system to get their compensation and to highlight it, but they were very categorical and very clear in saying to women, go forward for your smear. So you go forward for your smear. Say you go today. The thought had been asked to wait 27 weeks. So 27 weeks is over half a year. It can be nearly seven months. You're going to be asked to wait before you get your results back. Now, if you're anyway nervous going in, and if you've had symptoms or maybe you've had a dodgy smear in the past, but that's six months, six to seven months of absolute hell waiting for those results to come in. Now, please God, the results will come in and you will be fine. But you have all of that, you know, perhaps waking in the middle of the night. I mean, hopefully you'll be able to get on with your life and just put it behind you. But for some people who will be worried and will be panicked for that period of time, and that simply is not fair. And then people are worried that, you know, oh God, if it's left too long and I do have cancer, uh, will I have, you know, will it have gone to stage three, stage four by the time it is diagnosed? You know, and all that kind of worry goes through people's heads. So uh, we're interested in hearing from anybody. If you If you have gone for a smear in the last eight months to a year, how long did you wait for your results? Or are you one of those women still caught up in this, what looks like 27 weeks? How long have you been waiting now? And are you have you actually got it marked on the calendar and counting down how long you're actually waiting? Let us know, uh, uh, please. Uh, we're also going to preview the shortest, shortest St. Patrick's Day parade uh, that uh, we think is happening across Cork City and County. And that's the one that's going to be happening on uh, Cape Clear. There's 
many, many fantastic St. Patrick's Day parades happening on Sunday. We, as always, encourage you, please go out and support your local parade. Fingers crossed we'll get a fine day, but if it's a cold day, just wrap up warm. And if it's a wet day, just bring the umbrella and put the hood up and just go out and enjoy yourself. Because people put, the committees put a lot of time and effort and work into organising the parades. And then the people that get involved, people who put floats together and even local sporting organisations and schools. I mean, I certainly remember when I was a girl guiding a brownie, we walked in the St. Patrick's Day Parade and you felt so proud. And it's something that still stands, stands out in my mind, lining up and brown owl pinning on the shamrock onto all of us onto our uniforms and we marched up through the town. It's just just something very special about it. So get out and support your local St. Patrick's Day Parade. Too many of them for us to preview them all so we decided we go with the shortest one. So we're going to go to Cape Clear later on uh, today and just get a handle and a feel for what's going to be happening there on uh, Sunday. Uh, We're also going to hear details of a very special auction that's happening in Skull tomorrow. This is all part of the Fastnet Film Festival, they have managed to acquire a very old building in Skull and obviously now they have very ambitious plans to do up this building and make it like a state-of-the-art centre for the arts and have it in Skull. We know how successful the Fastnet Film Festival has been based in Skull in a town that doesn't even have a cinema and yet they've managed to pull off a really, really very, very successful film festival over the last number of years. So I'm assuming with this new building that they've acquired putting an arts centre in there, I'm assuming somewhere in the building will be a cinema as well. So we'll talk about fundraising that's going on but there's this auction, a silent auction that's going on from fantastic items will go under the hammer so we'll get details of that. And it is Friday so that means that uh, Mark Malone will join us us in the final hour of the programme and Mark will answer all of your or will talk to us about all things to do with the movies and what's on in the movies if you're planning on heading to the movies uh, going to the movies this weekend 1850 and I just want to give a quick mention for fear that I forget it yesterday on the programme we had a listener contact us from I think it was the Pike Road area of Fomoy and contacted us because they had a skip bag obviously out in their front garden or somewhere where it was visible from the street and somebody called to their house offering to take away, for a charge obviously, the skip bag. And the caller who contacted us just felt that the person was a bit aggressive in the way they were banging on the door, banging on the window, didn't like their attitude and certainly was not going to hand over a skip bag because, you you know, alarm bells would start to ring. Where is this rubbish going? Are you uh, a registered collector of rubbish? I don't think so. It was a man in a van, either a white van or a grey van. Caller to the programme wasn't uh, too sure. So we gave it out yesterday just to issue it as word of warning to anyone. If you are getting one of those skip bags, please make sure that whoever collects the skip bag is with an actual recognised refuse collection company because we know what has happened in uh, Ellis's yard in Ballyvalam and five people could be prosecuted because of that and it could have been very innocently that they handed over their rubbish you know paying somebody to, to get to dispose of it thinking it was going to the right place and suddenly it ends up being illegally dumped or fly tipping so you do need to be very very careful of who you're asking to dispose of your rubbish we mentioned that yesterday because as I say it was in the Pike Road area of Fomoy yesterday afternoon uh, John Paul said he had some calls in from people in the Bantier area to say a guy was calling around in the Bantier area offering to take away skip bags and very similar. He seemed to be quite aggressive in the way he was, you know, knocking on doors and knocking on windows if somebody didn't open the door. 
two of them. You know, he'd come up to the window and start peering in the window to see who was in the house. Why aren't you opening uh, the door? So just be aware of that. So he seems to be operating in the North Cork area at the moment but he could end up anywhere. And if anybody can manage to get a better description of the van and maybe a registration number and we'll um, pass it on to the Gardaí and they could uh, check it out. OK, I'm going straight to the phone lines where John McDonough uh, joins me from from Moy. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Trisha. Now, John, firstly, are you and the family, is everybody OK after what happened last night? Yeah, everybody is OK, but um, they let them know they're under a lot of shock. The whole lot of us, isn't Okay, just to uh, outline to people what happened. You live in a mobile home. You're at the on the Cork Road in Fomoy in the picnic area. Talk me through what happened last night. About um, quarter past one last night, uh, I was asleep and uh, Mrs. the Mrs. was sick and she was in no sleep. So she was getting um, she woke up around quarter past one and she could smell a lot of smoke. And you know, and she said to me that um, she could see smoke uh, coming out the front of the cabin. So. I got up out of bed and I'm looking and looked at it and there the whole front of it was up in fire. So I grabbed her and I grabbed the kids and we brought them outside the door and we ringed the guards and the fire brigade to Nooks. Do you know how the fire started, John? Um the fire we're not hundred percent sure, but the the fire were uh, fire brigade they came on there yesterday and they said it came in from the chimney, the top of the chimney was setting fire to the roof. Okay, so you had a fire lit yesterday in the in the mobile home, did you? Yeah, we have a stove. A stove, uh, yeah, okay. So somehow the chimney caught on fire. Yeah, it must be chimney, must be catching fire, that's all the roof in the hall, like I said. But, um, like, we were just living in a bad enough situation just before that, because we were staying here, like I said, there's no, no electricity here, like I said, and there's no toilets and no water, there's no nothing. And for this to happen. And how, what age are your children? Um, six, six, five, three, and two. Oh my God, but you got them all out okay and and everyone's okay, which is the main thing. Everyone but is, thing God, is, is the mobile destroyed? Ah, the mobile is destroyed, yeah. Smoke damage if, if on top of the fire damage. The whole roof, the whole front of it is all burned out of it. The whole roof. Oh, it's gone. It's gone, basically. It's, it's, it's gone, beyond, yeah. beyond repair. You've been on a council waiting list now for how long? Well, I'm there for the last seven years. Has somebody from the council come to you this morning? No, no, none of them. I had to ring, I had to ring one to them and leave a message with them, but nobody came out around us. You got, you got to need emergency accommodation straight away. Yeah, but I understand that. We tried for that before and we refused that. And now over the counter, the bank holiday weekend, Paddy's weekend, you probably won't get it there. Have you, have you a backup plan? Where, where will you go tonight? I don't know. Probably the back of the van, I say, or trying to just head up to some of the relations or something just for a night or something. Yeah, you can't you can't stay in a van with with four young children, uh, John. You have to, have your family could, could put you up. I have a couple of family up there. Look, we might try to go up to them for the night or something. But we were in the back of the van before, and we told the council that before as well. We're staying there for a couple of weeks to we get, had to get a small caravan and move into it. We'll get on to the council and just uh, in particular with to see if there's any emergency accommodation because ideally you want to stay in the Fomoy area. Yes, that's right. Because the kids are going to school, you know. Yeah. Oh, and what will you do long term? Will you try and replace the mobile? I don't know what to do, like I said, we don't know what to do because we're just here, like I said, as Indians, and like I said, and where we are, there's no toilets here, and there's no water here, and there's no electricity here. And even if a small fire starts, how would you quench them? No water or not? You want a house? Yeah, we want a house, 100% we want a house, like I said, because 
we're living here like for the last two, two, three years here on the caravan, like I said, we're tortured. Misery. We went through the worst winters there on the, yes, the last winter there was the worst I ever seen. So we had no choice just to get on with it. And you want a house in the Fomoy area? Yeah, in the Fomoy, yeah. Look, I don't mind even a mile or two outside Fomoy, I don't mind. Once it's close enough to Fomoy, I don't mind. Okay, because that's where your family are. That's where the family's from, and the kids are going to school there, and doctors, appointments, and things. Did the children go to school this morning? No, I didn't go to school. I had to walk all night, they never slept. All night. They were crying all night. I know, I know. But listen, at least you're all safe, nobody's injured. This could have been a much worse story if Natasha didn't wake up. Oh, this would have been the um, fibre. The fibre guard said to us that if we didn't wake up in um, five more minutes, it was toppled to the roof, and we would have been. Oh, don't even, you know, don't even want to think about. Oh my God, don't even want to think about it. Okay, we'll get on to the uh, council in the meantime and just see if there's it can be any offer of emergency accommodation just to tide you over the weekend. But then, long term, you need you now need you're now homeless. No homeless, like you said, and we know that's the goal, yeah? Like I said, like I said, we're homeless like the last couple of years, but this is the only thing we had was a little caravan that we had at the moment, isn't it? Now we have not at all, isn't it? And that's gone. That's gone. That's gone, isn't it? Have you lost, are, are you, did you manage to get clothes out? Or are they all destroyed? Because I know no, it's... All, everything's destroyed. Everything's destroyed. Yeah, because I know when smoke... When, whenever smoke damage on clothes, I mean, it, it, it washing it doesn't even work. They're gone. I mean, you we, just you we, can't. We couldn't even get into any part of it because the smoke and the fire were just flying out through the door. So we just had to get out of there. My God, you had a lucky escape, John. No, oh, lucky. You just blessed. Just blessed. You have, somebody, you have somebody looking after you above, that's for sure. OK, uh, John, uh, hang on, hang in there and we'll be back to you. We'll get on to the council in, in the meantime. Uh, but thanks for joining us and talking to us on the programme and, and look after yourself, Natasha, and the kids. Listen to me, thanks very much. All right, take care. Take care. That is uh, John McDonough from uh, what was living in that mobile home in the picnic area in uh, Formoy. And I know there had been very much mixed reaction to that particular mobile home being parked there. Some people felt it shouldn't have been in the picnic area. Other people felt, you know, including John himself spoke to us saying they'd nowhere else to go and they weren't interfering with other people who were going to and from the picnic area. Some people said, yeah, they were still visiting the picnic area and it was fine. Others said, no, they felt intimidated because the mobile home was there and they didn't and therefore they weren't using the the picnic area. Well, now the mobile home has gone on fire. So it looks like that will be removed. So that situation has been sorted out, but it could have been a lot, lot worse. We could have had a very different story on our hands this morning, only that Natasha woke up and they managed uh, to get uh, all the four, the four little children and themselves uh, out of there. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Consumer movement marks today, March 15th, as World Consumer Rights Day and they use the day to raise global awareness about consumer rights and needs. So, to mark the day, I'm joined by Anya Carroll of the Com- Competition and Consumer Protection Commission uh, here in Ireland. Good morning to you, Anya. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, and you're welcome. Are we the Irish? Are we good when it comes to knowing our consumer rights? like everything we kind of we find out what we need to know when we need to know it um, and that's what we would find you know a lot both in terms of we've consumer helpline um, and the vast majority of the queries that we get are from consumers who 
have a problem at that point in time and they're looking for some assistance in terms of how to resolve it. I think it's like anything in life. Everybody is busy. We all have lots of things to consider. So, you know, we don't spend our time maybe proactively finding out what our rights are, but what we do find is that the use of our services is, you know, it's really, really high. Um, our, our website gets over a million visits a year. You know, so when people do have problems, they do look for, for independent information to, to, to help them to solve those problems and that's part of what the CCPC does. And are there myths around it in that we think we know our rights and then when you actually look at it, going, oh no, that's not what I'm entitled to. Yeah, we, yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things I suppose very interesting about operating a consumer health line is, you know, we, we I suppose as an organisation, we find out what people don't know or maybe, yeah, I suppose conceptions that people might have that maybe aren't exactly accurate. One of the things I think a lot of people think is that they have a right to return something to a shop uh, under consumer law if they change their mind. And they actually don't. Mm. Um, so the, the, the legislation uh, that's in place in Ireland, um, when you buy from, from a shop, like, uh, you know, actually on, on a street, um, it doesn't allow you to return something just because you've changed your, your mind. mind. Although a lot of shops will do that kind of as a matter of policy. or kind Well, of it's a kind of a goodwill thing, isn't it, on behalf of the shops? Except then when you shop online from any website that's based in the EU, you do have a right to return something within 14 days. So it's not really surprising that people would confuse kind of the two things. Um, so obviously it's very different when you shop even from a, a website that maybe is only up the road from you because um, mm. you do have that automatic 14 days um, to, to change your mind and return it. Um, so that's, I suppose, one thing that often people might think that they have a right to do and, and in fact, you know, maybe they don't. Um, the other thing that we find a lot of people... Um, would kind of encounter problems with is when uh, they buy something that was on sale and then maybe a fault develops afterwards and they go to the shop and they say, well, I want to bring this back because there's a fault with it and maybe the shop assistant says, well, it was on sale so I can't return it. Um, And then they might contact us and they're not really sure whether or not a shop can do that. But in fact, a shop uh, can't do that because your consumer rights do not change even if something is on sale or discounted. So but what if the shop has a, has a sign up and you will often see this during a sale yeah. no exchange or refund on sale items if they clearly display that in the shop during the sale? Except if there's a fault. Aha. So what that's about is their kind of normal returns policy so maybe ordinarily they might give you know two weeks or 30 days or something to bring something back um, and they'll give you an exchange or they might give you a refund but some shops when something's on sale they won't do that anymore um, so if you're buying something and it's on sale and you think you might want to return it like if you're buying it for somebody else or it's to, you know it's, it's the dress to go with a jacket that you already have really important to ask the shop what is your policy on returns um, particularly when something's on sale because you don't want to end up obviously buying something that you end up not wanting the one we always get an awful lot of calls about um, on your particular on Christmas is an after Christmas gift vouchers. Gift vouchers, yeah. yeah. Uh, it is something that we get a lot of calls about gift vouchers and expiry dates. Yeah. Uh, and this has been an issue for years. Um, you know, as I said, we're all very busy. <laughs> People get gifts of gift vouchers and maybe put them in a drawer, put them away yeah. so safe and then find them a few years later and they find that they're out of date. And there is legislation at the moment which is sort of making its way through uh, the doll, um, which will mean that there should be a a, a minimum um, period in which somebody can use a voucher. And uh, as far as I'm aware, what's being proposed at the moment is five years. So that would mean that any retailer in Ireland, if they issue a gift voucher, they have to give at least five years for it to be used. That's very, obviously, that would be a very positive um, development for consumers in Ireland because I think everybody has had that experience of finding a gift voucher um, that's out of date. Some shops, uh, restaurants, hotels, will 
um, accept them. And, you know, we do find that sometimes when people contact us, now I come back and say, oh, actually, I did ask them if they would be willing to extend it, and they have extended yeah, it. Yeah, again, it's a goodwill gesture on behalf of the shops, and it will make you want to go back and use that business again. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas if you get a, no, sorry, it's out of date, obviously how out of date it is as well, that yeah. might be a factor when you go back to try and negotiate with the retailer. Because if it's just a couple of weeks out of date, you know, they may be more willing to extend it than if it's maybe two years out of date. And other issues, I suppose, crop up, like ownership of businesses changes hands, that liability then is no longer with that business. Um, businesses go out. Even if the business them. name is the very same and, this, you know, the same name, doing the same business. If that new business took on the liabilities of the previous business, then yes, absolutely. But if it's circumstance where a business has shut down and a new one has opened up and they haven't taken on the liabilities of the, the previous business, then if you are a holder of a gift voucher for that business, unfortunately, you're in that long line of people who are owed money from a business um, that no longer exists, like their staff, the bank, revenue, and it's unlikely that you get your money back in those circumstances. If you get a gift card or gift voucher, spend it quickly then. For Use it. <laughs> at, and we actually run campaigns at Christmas to say to people, if you're getting a gift voucher, gift card at Christmas, use it like straight away in the, in the sales period uh, after Christmas. Um, because there's nothing worse. I think as well for the person who's given the voucher, yeah. there's nothing worse than they've they've spent money to try and give you something and then you've ended up not using it, you know. Um, so yeah, really important to use gift vouchers as quickly as you can. Now, when I mentioned you were coming on uh, this morning, Irene in Mitchestown, one of our listeners contacted us to see if you'd have an opinion on this. And it's something we've been dealing with over the last number of weeks on the programme. And it's people who've been having problem with their telephone provider. In, in the main, it's been air. And people trying to get through to either complain about being overcharged on a bill or the phone has been disconnected or something's gone wrong with their broadband whatever it is and they ring and they get all these options press 1, 2, 3 and 4 they can be hanging on the phone for I think the longest we had with somebody was on for 4 hours before they finally got through to somebody and when they did, they did get through to somebody they either got transferred back onto an answering machine or the phone got disconnected and, and I read in Richardson I was wonder, wondering at the commission can you force the companies to change their procedures and how they deal with people? We can't, but there is a telecoms regulator um, and it may well be that some of the issues that Irene is experiencing may be, um, you know, particularly of interest to the, the telecoms regulator. But as a first stage, I'd love Irene to ring our helpline, which is 1890-432-432. Um, and we can give her some information in terms of the next steps that she might want to take. So it would be great if Irene would give us a call today. Okay, oh, very good. Now, you mentioned shopping uh, online and that has become extremely uh, popular. Do we, have the very, do we have the same consumer protection? We actually, I mean, arguably you could say that we have stronger consumer protection when we shop online. So there's a piece of European legislation called the Consumer Rights Directive. Um, so if you buy from a website that's based anywhere in the EU, so in, in an EU member state, once that item arrives, you have 14 days in which you can change your mind. Now, you don't have that, I suppose, potentially with, with others, you know, um, and other so other ways of shopping. So if you shop from outside the EU, you don't have that protection. If you shop in, you know, a bricks-and-mortar shop, you don't necessarily have that protection. Um, so that is a really, uh, I suppose, um, it's an important part of shopping online. And the idea behind it is that it gives you the opportunity that you would have if you were actually in the shop. You get to try something on, or you get to have a look at it and decide if you really want it. And then you have another 14 days to send it back. So you've actually got 28 days wow. at the point when it's actually delivered for it to get back to, to the trader. Now, you may have to pay the cost of returning it, 
and that comes down to the terms and conditions of the website. Some companies will give you, um, they, they provide a, a free or a low-cost um, courier service. Others, you may have to pay for the full cost of returning it yourself. And then others, I suppose, obviously, there, there are shops where you can, you can, bring, um, you can bring something in uh, back into the, into the actual retailer itself. Um, so when you shop online, you do have those very strong protections. And the whole idea of it is that it allows consumers around the EU to, to buy from other member states and really kind of realise that whole idea of, of one big market in terms of the EU. Obviously, Brexit is an, mm. <laughs> an issue uh, on the horizon and not to get into it too much because it seems that it changes on an hourly basis. But at a point in time when the UK leaves uh, the EU, those laws won't apply anymore. So for consumers in Ireland who are buying from online retailers in the UK, that 14-day cooling-off period will not be enshrined in law anymore unless the UK put in a provision that kind of mirrors the protections that you have in the EU. But it is something that we're kind of keeping an eye on in terms of, well, what's what's going to happen um, in relation to Brexit um, and how will that impact on the rights of consumers in Ireland when they are shopping online from the UK? It's just affecting so many different, or it could affect so many different aspects yeah. of our life. It's crazy. OK, listen, uh, Anya, enjoy World Consumer Rights Day. And thank you very, uh, thank much, you very much for joining us on the programme. Thanks very much. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. All you, Carol, there of the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission. Actually, Susan in Cork was on, um, and I, I'm not quite sure what Susan is talking about, but she says, Does anybody else know why you can't use your Dunn Stores vouchers in their clothing department? She said, They can put points on your card when you buy stuff in there, but you can only use the vouchers in the food department. It's embarrassing if you're not aware of this. Thanking you, Susan in Cork. Now, I'm, in, I'm straight away thinking you're talking about the 10 euro off voucher on the 50 euro spend, is it? Is it? Because if you're talking about that, that's always only been in the food department. The normal vouchers that you collect your points on, you can use, as far as I know, because I've certainly used them in the clothing department. You can use them anywhere. So if you're talking about the 10 euro off one, is it 50 euro and then you get 10 euro off if you spend those vouchers? It clearly does state, if you read the small print on the back of those, that that those vouchers are only for the food and um, the in the food department in the there you can't use them in the, in the clothing department. Uh, Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from four to seven for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel good story and song of the day, and of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C one zero three. Sinn Féin MEP for the South Leah Niriada has called for the Gira woodlands in the Upper Lee Valley to be designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site and to find out more Leah Niriada uh, joins me Good morning to you Leah Good morning and, and you're welcome Before we get to talk about the, the Gira Brexit I can't let the moment go without talking to you about Brexit What's the feeling in Europe in everything that's coming out uh, from London uh, this week Are we heading for a no-deal Brexit and, and what are your concerns uh, around everything that's happened this week? Well, look, it's just displayed an incredible level of chaos uh, and self-destruction by the British government. And what struck me about it is they seem to be talking to themselves in the House of Commons. It's as if they've almost forgotten about their own constituents and the impact it's going to have on them in terms of lack of certainty. And it's a lot of showboating and handbagging, if you like, um, the feeling that we have as MEPs is we just we just look on in disbelief at 
the unfolding chaos. And what will happen, I would imagine, is there will be some sort of an extension given, but like Theresa May is hoping that they'll just get a short extension before the European elections. But they're not going to, if they haven't agreed on the deal already twice now, they're hardly going to agree on it on the third mm-hmm. time. And the EU is going to pressurise them and say, look, you either go in for, you know, um, Article 50 for, for the extension being given for another year, perhaps, if not even two, or none at all. And I can't see an appetite among the Tories or indeed the DUP for that to happen. So the whole thing is still to play for. You can see that there's very little confidence in Theresa May. Um, and it's just, you, you know, if you had asked me last week, I would have said, oh, you know, they'll cobble together some last minute deal and something will happen. But now I am very worried that it is stumbling towards a no deal. And as you know, for us, that will just have devastating consequences. And the, are the EU, are they running out of patience? Completely. Yeah. There's a sense of, you know, just get on with it. Um, because how many more chances do they want? And Michel Barnier was very clearly annoyed, if you like, when he kept on saying, and he had to repeat his message over and over, this is non-negotiable. We are not going to be renegotiating the same deal over and over again either take it or leave it. And I think there is that sense of patience running out. Because, look, businesses, uh, everything from agriculture to every single industry that we have in this country is relying on certainty. And when we don't have that certainty, that's what's causing so much, I, I, I suppose, confusion and insecurity and worry, and rightly so. So, look, you know, I suppose we'll know one way or another. We'll have to know before the 29th of March. And that leaves us with very little time. Okay. Back to the Gira Woodlands that we've invited you on the programme to talk about this morning. Explain why you feel, Leah, that it is so important to have this area protected. Well, look at the Gira, as I have been saying for many years, I suppose it's my own back door, really, in that regard. But irrespective of that, it's called, it's, a, it's an alluvial forest. There's only two of their kind in the world, and we happen to have one in our very own backyard here in County Cork. Um, it's a really unique sp- space and place. It's full of a lot of different uh, biodiversity, pearl mussels. It's just absolutely stunning uh, to go and visit it now. It's dangerous for people to go in because it's actually a bit like a jungle in there that you could get quite lost. But it's very, very unique and therefore it qualifies, in my view, for a Biosphere UNESCO status. So I carried myself off to Paris last week, uh, took a train from Brussels and met with uh, Ambassador Dermot Nolan, who is uh, UNESCO officials there, and just to talk to them about the possibility of what's the next step, what can we do? And it ticks all the right boxes because it's educational. Uh, obviously, it would be a huge bonus in terms of tourism because it's a huge heritage that we have and you could expand it to a much bigger area than just the Gera alone. Uh, and so all of those boxes are ticked. So it now has to go through a process where I'll have to try and encourage the ESB who are part owners of it and obviously the community themselves, some of the farmers that, that their lands adjoin to it and the National Parks and Wildlife Services. So if I can get those three pieces of the jigsaw together to agree, it would be wonderful because it would bring a great, uh, it'd be a great victory uh, for a start, but it would also bring lots of football and tourism. I often refer to it as kind of, it's the burn of, of Cork in that regard. It's so unique. It's very different from the barn, but it's that unique that it deserves that status. And, but, and we've spoken before on this programme about the felling of trees in, in the woodlands that was done under licence by the Forestry Service at the Department of Agriculture, which was very hard to understand. It was, um, and I have. it was a huge worry, and I went to damage, and look at the, the damage that was done. Now it was on the entrance into it. Uh, it wasn't actually in the heart of the, the woodland itself. 
but nonetheless it did extraordinary damage and they seem to be very excessive in the trees that they did fell um, and they said that it was look we obviously have to be very concerned about public safety and health and all of that and I understand the reasoning but I thought the method in which it was done and the rather zealous nature they had in terms of taking so many trees out was questionable but I'm sure the uh, you know, I'm sure that it had to be done with due diligence and all of that. But look, it's about protecting what's there now. And if we do get that, that it'll take about two years, unfortunately, for this to come along because it's not an overnight process. Uh, for instance, we have UNESCO status for a lot of things, which I was unaware of, which is terrific. Like hurling has a UNESCO status. Uh, the Ellen Pipes have a UNESCO status. And the other one, which I was saying, which would be terrific to have a UNESCO, it's called Intangible Culture, would be the harp because it symbolises, you know, it's it's on our, it's on so many offices, and you know, the harp is very symbolic of Ireland. Absolutely. And I'm delighted to say that that's in the process of getting a status as well. That should be cleared in about six months' time. So I cannot see why we shouldn't have a place as unique as the Gera, two of its kind in the world, that we should, you know, really appreciate what we have in our own back garden. So and I protect hope, it. I will, I will carry on, irrespective of elections. And all of that, I'm going to continue to try and get this over the line. Well done. Well done. Well done. You'll get a lot of support on this, um, uh, I'm sure, because so many people believing and so many people were so upset with the felling of of those trees. And we need to protect the area for ourselves and for future generations. Leah, I leave it there. Well, we do. And I just want to say one quick thing, Patricia. On that, um, of course, future generations, I'm about to join the march in Cork with all those school children that are striking today on climate action. It is about the future. It is. It is. Okay, yeah. listen, thank you for that, Leah. And uh, thanks uh, for G- uh, for joining us. That is Leah Niria, the uh, Sinn Féin MEP for the South. Going to take a quick break. We have news at 11 on the way in the next hour. What needs to be done to speed up the survival test results uh, for uh, women? And uh, we also have uh, details of one of the shortest parades in Cork. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts coming in on topics we were discussing in the last hour on the Gira and the felling of trees at the Gira. Uh, WhatsApper says, Hi Patricia, I heard you talk and mention about the felling of trees under licence by the Department of um, Agriculture and the trees were felled in those precious old woodlands in the Gira. Well, I see with some of my farming neighbours a few years ago, they were advised to get rid of all the ditches on their farms, creating a large prairie look to their fields. The poor cows didn't have shelter from the blistering sun or the horrible sleet and rain. Then a few years later, the same farmers were given a grant to set some native trees on their land. Is that not a total contradiction? Terrible decision. And the poor animals not having shelter really got to me, says this texter. Uh, felt that that was a cruelty uh, issue. Mary, sorry to spot you, Mary. Your name on the text, Mary. Thank you for that. Uh, so Mary felt it was a cruelty issue for the uh, animals. Thank you for that, uh, Mary. We were speaking about consumer issues in the last hour. Uh, and unfortunately, Sandy, your text came in too late to me. Um, asking, would I ask Anya Carroll from the consumer, the CCPC, why do consumers have to ring an 1890 or an 1850 number when most network plans do not allow it? Would they not give a landline number, such as an 01 number or an 021 uh, number? And Anya, yeah, Anya called out their consumer helpline number, which is 1890. It's 1890 uh, 432 432. But when we've gone on to the CCPC website, 
they also have a Dublin number and the John Paul says you can ring and they'll transfer you onto the consumer helpline and a lot of people do that now if you're asked to ring a number that is an 1890 or an 1850 number and you don't want to use that service that is the price of a local call uh, but some people with their bundle packages that they have they see it as additional costs you can always ring there's all there will always be a landline number you can ring so if, if it's the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission that you want to contact they do have a Dublin number uh, 01402 5500 402 5500 and as I say that is an 021 number thank you for your uh, text uh, Sandy on the New Zealand Shocking story coming out of, of New Zealand from Christchurch today. Jared says, uh, Patricia, on the New Zealand attack, first of all, what happened was terrible. But my point is, it, it feels like double standards of news outlets in their coverage. Every year in Muslim countries, Christians are murdered in their tens and hundreds in very similar attacks. and They barely get a mention on the international media. However, reverse the situation and when it is Muslims that are being killed, it's all over the media. A bit of balance in coverage would go a long way, says Jared, who does start by saying that what, what has happened in Christchurch is terrible and he has huge uh, sympathies for all of the families. And talking of sympathy for the families, we spoke with uh, John McDonough, who has been living with his family for the last couple of years in the picnic area in Formoy. Uh, and luckily... Luckily, and thank God, everyone got out safe last night. There was a fire and their mobile home, it looks like their mobile home has been destroyed. The roof of their mobile home went on fire, but everything inside now is that smoke uh, damage. And they are now out, literally now out on the side of the street. Uh, Noel, one of our listeners, says, why can't the family or somebody else, friends of theirs, set up a GoFundMe page for the McDonough family. Where are the local branch of the Society of Vincent de Paul? I'm sure they'll jump in and help, by the way. And any other local organisation, that family need help and they need it now. The family shouldn't be, shouldn't now have to be thinking of going around looking for a place to live. The help should be coming to them. The council don't seem to be intervening in this matter. Uh, the family shouldn't have to be looking for the alternative. Somebody should be coming out to help them. Well, on that very time. Topic. Councillor Noel McCarthy uh, from Formoy joins me on the programme. Good morning to you, Noel. Good morning, Patricia. And Noel, I know you've been working with the McDonough family in trying to get them moved on from their current housing situation, i.e. the mobile home on the picnic area. Uh, firstly, we're very lucky that this isn't a very different story this morning and we're very lucky that they got out and the four little children all got out safely. Yeah, that was the most important thing that, that happened um, this morning. Everyone was safe, Patricia, because no one wanted to see an accident like that to happen. And it's just so lucky that everyone got out in time. I did speak to John this morning on the phone. Uh, I, I, I said to him, look, I was so happy that everyone was out safely. But uh, what I've been saying all the time, Patricia, before this incident happened today, is that they need to work, as I've been saying, consistently saying all the time, to work with the housing executive to get accommodation and do it in the proper manner. I think there is now is the time that they need to go into emergency accommodation and go through the system in that process. I think that's the way. And I, I have been on to the housing officer waiting for a call back. So hopefully housing is, uh, emergency accommodation will be provided to the McDonald's. Uh, even though I think John made a, made a kind of a pretty valid point when it comes to emergency accommodation. It's a bank holiday weekend. It's the St. Patrick's Day weekend. Will there be any accommodation available in Formoy? Uh, 
And that's the problem. And that is the, a huge problem. A, a busy weekend with parades everywhere. A lot of people come visiting the town, visiting relations, staying in all the V&Bs. And, and we've only one hotel in town, as you know, Patricia. Yeah. So I have no doubt that's booked out. It will be a difficult situation for the McDonald's to find something. But hopefully, with everyone working together, and I know the organisations, different organisations, Infomoy are working with McDonald's and I welcome that as well. Good. But this is the, and the most important thing that we work together because as I've been saying to John and I have good time for John and his family but by putting a, a caravan into a picnic area wasn't the ideal thing to do. Well, so it's, not, well, it's I, gone now. Yeah. That's for sure. And it's gone now. Yeah. And, I, and, I'm, and this, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean yeah. the most important thing everyone was safe yeah. and that's the most yeah. important. But to, to, to go back to that practice again or anyone else doing that cannot happen. So we need, we all have responsibilities and I put my hands up, Patricia, we all need to work harder to, to find solutions for these problems and we must do that. And I'm not, and I will take a responsibility of that. And I will, I am willing to work to McDonald's like I told John to find what we can, do what we can know but the first thing is to do with the executive is go into emergency accommodation then maybe find private accommodation through HAP or rent announce and build up again a relationship with the council and do the right thing and that's the most okay, important Okay and they've they, it seems like they've lost everything and I mean I was making the point uh, even though the whole the caravan the mobile home didn't burn to the ground but with smoke damage but there's good charities local charities in Formoy that will help them out I, I've no doubt about yeah. that. People are very good when it comes to yeah. tragedies like this. They are very, very good. And for me, it's no different to anywhere else. And I've no doubt that everyone will pull together. Okay. But look, the most important thing that we all work together, Patricia, I said, and the blame game is gone. Now, let's try to go forward from here and help the McDonald's now because that's what they need. Okay. Keep that's in contact okay. with us, um, Noel, course. and thanks a million for that. Uh, because thanks. when I heard this morning, when I came into work this morning and I saw somebody, uh, thank you to somebody, there was somebody called Fiona who sent in a text to alert us to what had happened with the McDonald's with their mobile home last night I mean the first thing I thought about was remember the devastating fire at the halting site in Carrig Mines do you remember that back in uh, 2015 where 10 lives were lost uh, including a lot of, of, of children it was it was shocking and you just you thought about that and you were thinking oh we, we could have been doing a very different story on the radio today so at least John and Natasha and their four little children under the age of six are all safe and that is the most important thing so fingers crossed now that this can all get sorted out and they can get there get accommodation emergency accommodation initially and then into some more permanent even you'd love to think they'd get a forever home but they, they're on a waiting list with a lot of other people in the Fumoy area trying to access social housing but maybe as Noel said something under HAP private rented accommodation uh, we will update you if we get any more on this story 1850 333 103 and a texter says uh, Hi C103 this is Mary the manager and all of the staff at Vincent's Bantry charity shop they are based at number 5 Main Street in Bantry they're celebrating St Patrick's Day with a half Price sale tomorrow Saturday, and the half price sale will be on in the Vincent's shop uh, in Bantry from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. tomorrow. And they say in their text that it's going to be pretty amazing. So if you want to grab a bargain and at the same time helping out the great work of the Society of Vincent de Paul, seeing as we mentioned uh, VDP a couple of minutes ago in our interview with the McDonald's, there's a way of helping if you're in Bantry and you can grab a bargain at the same time. And we are, of course, a very generous uh, nation. And now it's official. Ireland is the only European country to feature in the top 10 of the World Giving Index and we have featured in the top 10 every year since 2010 
over the past decade, Irish people have excelled in donating money to charity, volunteering for a worthy cause or helping out strangers. And they are the three categories that are considered by the research before they put this index together. Last year, we were the most generous in the European Union and we were the fifth most generous in the world. The 2018 survey found that 64% of us had helped a stranger in the past month, 64% had donated money and 40% said they had volunteered their time for good causes. So we've been in that top 10 list, which is terrific since uh, 2010. And looking at the breakdown of the money and how much we have given This is the 28 uh, figure. More than 300,000 people volunteered with registered charities across the country, clocking up on average 67 million hours annually. Charity from householders alone amounted to, this is a staggering figure, 350 million euro. Of that, 204 million euro came from urban families, 145 million euro came from rural householders and the retired donated the greatest amount to charity last year with the average retired household donating just over seven euro every year across last year and then people aged between 45 and 64 they make up the majority of volunteers and uh, contributed the greatest amount of time when it came comes to doing voluntary work so we can all feel very proud we are Europe's most generous C103 Jobs Childminder is required to mind three school-going children that's in their own home. A spa therapist is required, that's for the East Cork area, while a West Cork company is looking for a lorry driver and a plaster is required for work in the Mallow area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103. Across Cork City and County, this is Cork Today on C103. Laura Gelga, Air C103. Matt Lanter, is Ashdor August Mankeen, Mericano A Matt. Tosha Carabina, is Truck Adish, August Robuke, Air and Gade Lauda Abroad, Nade Gokto Tree. The Dani, Wakshay Partiskanon, Pitch Perfect Tree. Because this Ashdor A, Seclar Televisa Timeless, Todir Karash Tundar Cesar, Busik Sheikh Liva Hamar Ashdor, Sublin Gobilis Car, Berenglor Manhunt. The Quart Session, Akfer Nirvuishay. Dominic Yixin, Vogmat Los Angeles, August Dyer Gamalesh. Wakshay Partig, Grey's Anatomy, Big Love, August Heroes. A new session, Bae Go Anakin Skywalker, the Skinon Cartoonok, Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Bonnick Lu August Collar and Skinon, August Diaskishin. C103, the River Lee and the Echo bring you the Cork City Sports Athletics Award. Athletics Award. Every month, a panel of sporting experts will give recognition to an outstanding Cork athlete. Cork athlete. The latest award winner is Alex Wright from Leeville AC for winning two international walk titles, the Andalusia 10K and the indoor 5,000 metres in Bratislava. The Cork City Sports Athletics Award with the River Lee and the Echo and C103.
Now, as a result of the ongoing cervical check controversy, women are waiting anything up to seven months for their smear test results. Hilary Ellis from Mallow has contacted us and is asking, what is the price on women's health? And uh, Hilary joins me. Good morning to you, Hilary. Good morning. Uh, and you're, you're welcome. OK, your own story first. When did you have your smear test done? My own smear test was carried out on the 12th of September last year. So I'm now 26 weeks waiting for my own results. Have you any idea when you expect to get your results? Well, I called my GP surgery um, because I was a little concerned that I hadn't had my results. They referred me to cervical check. I called cervical check and they said, oh, well, you're definitely in the system. They flagged me up as uh, they told me I had to, I was 22 weeks in the system. It's actually longer. It is 26 weeks. And they said it's definitely 27 weeks now. You have to wait for your results. That's bizarre, isn't it? It is, isn't it? And I know of women who are waiting longer than myself as well. I've come across cases where women are still waiting 32 weeks on. And have you concerns in that, Had did you have a dodgy smear in the past or no. have you any family history? No, no. Fortunately, I'm not one of those ladies. I, I've never had an abnormal test. I have no history of cervical cancer in my family. So for myself personally... I'm not overly concerned, but I know there are a lot of women out there who are. They have cervical um, cancer history in their family members, sisters and mothers, um, or they might have had an abnormal smear test last time around. Those ladies are very, very worried. Yeah, and and I know myself many years ago, uh, back now, this would have been before we had the cervical check controversy and when you were only waiting a matter of weeks for test results. I remember having a couple of abnormal test results and then you had to wait and you went back six months and you got another one. But there was always that period of, and it was literally only weeks you were waiting on the result. And, you know, you'd wake every now and again in the middle of the night thinking, oh God, I hope everything's going to be OK. Now, as it turned out, it was. But there was those little glimmers where you, where you doubted yourself and you doubted what the results were going to be. So I can imagine if somebody's been asked to wait six, seven months. I know, it must be awful for them. And women have been told that, that there's no alternative. I know of ladies who have returned to their GPs and asked if they can have a another smear test done and have the results analysed in a private laboratory somewhere. Yeah. They're being told there, there aren't the facilities available for that. They're willing to pay for the extra test and they're still not being able to have any, any results any sooner. And then there's the additional worry, isn't there, that some of the tests may become invalid. I know. This is adding to the problems because there has been um, communication from the HSE to GPs um, advising that um, many uh, samples, many slides but went out of date when being tested for HPV. The HPV test is then carried out um, if there are abnormal cells found on the cytology slide. As a result of that, because slides went out of date, samples went out of date, another 6,000 ladies are being recalled for another, another, another smear test. That's going to just add to the backlog. Yeah, and then that also puts the fear of God into the 6,000 women who get called back because they're straight away thinking, oh my God, there's something wrong. Yes, yes. There are 78,000 women in the backlog at the moment affected by this, 78,000. Um, and the, the HSE's figures say that if 1,000 women are screened, 15 of those women will have cells abnormal cells found through screening. That means with 78,000 ladies in the, ba- in the backlog, there are 5,000 women out there right now 
who do have abnormalities in their cervix and who haven't been told because they're in this backlog. They should have been told months ago. You see, this all goes back to that 84,000 women came forward for screening in 2018 as the result of the cervical check audit. They simply weren't prepared. I mean, isn't that the problem? They were not prepared for the amount of women that came forward, even though they encouraged the women to come forward. I know. They didn't put the, the systems in place. The laboratories weren't there weren't contracted to deal with the, the extra demand. There are only three laboratories, apparently, that the HSE uses, one of which is in America, which is already the subject of, of a lot of controversy. Um, but there, there are apparently other laboratories here in Ireland on our own shores that are capable of undertaking cytology tests, but they're, they're not being um, engaged as far as I know. And because, because we were testing here in Ireland and then they came up with us cheaper to go to America and that's mm. why it got, it got outsourced. So, mm. I mean, there was, there was labs there that are obviously still there and are ready to, to, to go. Uh, There are two labs in in Ireland at the moment that are screening for the HSE. There is also this other lab in America. But I know for sure, because I did some digging around, that there are other cytology labs available that carry out these services. You can go online and... And see them. And see them and see how much it costs to have a private... um, Screening, yeah. Yeah, uh, you you've written to Simon Harris. I did write to Simon Harris. Did you I get a... my local TD? And um, all I've had is a standard um, reply from Simon Harris's office saying thank you for raising this. Um, we'll bring it to Mr. Harris's attention. Yeah, is he out of the country? Has he gone away for St Patrick's Day? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> and we know that screening saves lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, and, the and, and we also know that early intervention is key. I mean, how many times on this programme have I done interviews with people like the Irish Cancer Society? You know, don't ignore the symptoms, go get the tests, go get the screening mm-hmm. done. Like, all the evidence is there. And yet, you, you, you're right when you ask, what is the price on women's health? I know. The problem with cervical cancer, one of the problems is that often there are no symptoms Nothing, a lady thinks that they're perfectly healthy and it's not until abnormalities are found during the the smear test process that that there could be any indication that there's something amiss. They could be completely symptom-free. That's why it's so important to have these smear tests done on a regular basis for every every woman. And if you were uh, in the United Kingdom, how long does this take to get a smear test? It's um, allegedly 14 days. I I haven't been part of the, the health system in the UK for many years myself but I spoke to friends back there and they're not aware of any um, issues over there with, with testing and results. And they have a much bigger population. They do, I guess they have a lot more labs. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and you know when I was thinking about this when I knew you were coming on today and I was looking at some of the, the figures and, and, and the numbers and this you know startling figure of 27 weeks to wait for a result you know I straight away thought of people like Emma Vic Mahuna bless her heart is no longer with us Vicky Phelan who continues to battle on um, Stephen Teep's wife Irene sadly no longer with us have we learned nothing it appears not from their stories it appears not there has already been one one report of a woman who um, uh, has been diagnosed now with cervical cancer and there was a huge delay. She was tested in June of last year, didn't receive her results until October, and she has been diagnosed with cervical cancer. This is a lady in the Midwest, apparently. The, 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 it's already happening. 
And what false economy then when they have to compensate these these wonderful women and their families? Yes, this, this shouldn't uh, still be in the news. It yeah, shouldn't still it shouldn't. be in the news. Absolutely not, this, not. Not this particular aspect of it. Uh, hi, uh, Trisha. I had my smear test done on the 17th of September 2018 and they re- received the results last uh, Tuesday week. You did well. You, you, you yes. got it. Uh, you did well because Hillary, Hillary was a week ahead of you. Uh, different lab, maybe. I don't know. Crazy. It's just crazy. All right, listen, um, Hillary, let us know if you, when you hear back from Simon Harris. I'd be very interested in the response that you're going to get. I will, thank you. And also let us know when your test results come back as well. And please God, everything will be okay. But well done for raising it. Well done for raising the issue. Uh, Good morning to you. Uh, Bye bye. That is uh, Hillary Ellis uh, joining us from Mallow, one of the many, many women who are awaiting a result of a smear test. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 Sunday mornings, C103 brings you interviews with actors and theatre directors, concert news and show reviews, live studio performances and festival roundups, exhibition info and the very latest film news. The Arts House, Sunday mornings, 8 till 10. With Griffin's Potatoes Cork. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. The great taste of home. On C103. There are so many great St. Patrick's Day parades being held next Sunday. Too many for us to preview all of them so we decided to feature what is possibly one of the shortest parades and that's the one that's going to be held on beautiful Cape Clear joining me to preview the event is Martin O'Mwaylod and in a moment I'll also be speaking with uh, Ed Harper but Martin joins me first uh, good morning to you uh, Hello, and you're, you I'm very well okay just talk us through how, how long have you been holding a parade on Cape Clear and how did that all come about um, I think in a row, I think is this our third or fourth year? And um, look, it came about because we thought, you know, we should, why wouldn't we have a parade like anywhere else? <laughs> and what route does your parade take? Our parade takes the route from um, beautiful South Harbour along the road then and uh, we stop kind of halfway along and, and play a few tunes and stuff and then down and the hill into North Harbour and then into Club Clara after for a session and kill and a bit of a hooli. And in, in, in total, how long does it take from start um, to finish? I suppose, well, of course, <laughs> of course, because the route is so short, we make sure that, if, you know, if we just walked directly, we'd be back down in the harbour in five minutes and <laughs> in North Harbour in five minutes. So, you know, we stop a couple of times along the way and take Good. pictures and all of that. And like I say, play a few tunes. So, Altogether, the parade will probably take, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes. All right, maybe, OK. Like uh, and it's, it's got music in it. What more would you want? Absolutely. And uh, Patrick's Day, anyway. Patrick's St. Patrick's Day is a good marker for us on, on um, beautiful Elon Clara because after that, then it's full steam ahead to get ready for the summer and the, you know, Colosh de Saura and all of that. So, And do you get visitors on the day or is the parade very much aimed just at the people who live on the island? Yeah, look, of course, it's very much aimed at the people who live on the island. But yes, we do we do get a few visitors as well. I think last year we had, in the parade, we had um, 59 humans. <laughs> and I think we had three dogs, two sheep and one goat. <laughs> or maybe it was two goats and one sheep. And and this year you have decided to have uh, Izzy, uh, the 11-year-old German Shepherd, is going to be the Grand Marshal. Absolutely. Look, we th- we thought that it would be a good idea. Izzy has given um, has given Ed great service, and you know, um, and 
obviously Izzy is around the place and we're all used to Izzy and we just thought that would be a nice thing to do. That's, it's, uh, who's, who have previous Grand Marshals been? Um, let me see. Last year, uh, last year was Danny Stewart. Okay. Um, who's living in the island the last 20 years or more. Danny, who's a fantastic musician and uh, and is a good neighbour and loved by everybody. And I think the year before, the year before we had um, Chuck and Nell. Ah, yeah, great choice. But so yeah. Izzy, Izzy is the first four-legged Grand yeah, Marshal. Izzy is the first four-legged <laughs> Grand Marshal, indeed. Possibly the only four-legged Grand Marshal in Ireland. Uh, <laughs> Even though I did, did I hear something in Kinsale? They're using an animal as well. Stay there. I want to bring in um, Ed Harper, who must be bursting with pride. Good morning to you, Ed. Hi. Well, <coughs> it's it's not really a matter of pride for me. It's Izzy. I mean, Izzy's the one. She's <laughs> she's the one who gets the honour, and she's the one who deserves the honour as well. She's um, she's a great dog. I mean, she's she's been a very good guide dog for the last eight and a half years for me. She's um, retired now, isn't she? She retired in January. Okay. Yes, eventually, and but she's an absolute sweetie. I mean, she she has a, her own fan club, I mean, and she she just loves to go out and see people, particularly children. She's passionately fond of children, and she's she's just a lovely dog. And you know, actually, today, under normal circumstances, if I wasn't tied up on the farm, and if she hadn't retired we would probably have been in Cork City on the climate protest um, because she's she's done more um, public protesting and going to meetings and things in the last few years <laughs> and than any guide dog ever And she's before. very passionate about the climate. She is indeed she is, because yeah. it, it worries her. I mean, like her, her, her other four-legged friends on the farm, um, I mean, they're, they're very affected by, by the weather. Of course they are. Of course they are. In fact, we've been here 40 years this July. We're having a big party to celebrate it and... We've seen changes because of climate change. I mean, it, it's really surprising. The, the mating season goes to seasonal breeders and it's changed quite markedly since 2000. And that's and that's down to climate change? It almost certainly. They can't really see anything else that it could be. Um, and I mean, certainly Izzy talking to her friends obviously gets the point. And she's, um, but she's a great dog and she's, she'll enjoy the day because she enjoys the attention. And, and you haven't leaving. you haven't replaced Izzy. No, well it's a, it's a it's a, it's a twofold thing. Um, one is that the Irish guide dogs um, they're they're coming out of it, but they got themselves into a right mess there. Um, but it's it's the the kind of recovery program is well underway now. Um, I'm glad to say, uh, but they certainly I should really have replaced Izzy about two years ago. And two years or so ago, I would have been in a much better position to take a new dog. My own mobility has decreased quite a lot now, and it would be very difficult coping with a young new dog. I know, I know. So Izzy remains with you as a pet then? She does. Oh, God, yeah. yes, she does yeah. indeed. There's no way. And is, is, is that what you've done with... Because Izzy wasn't your first guide dog. Izzy's my sixth. You're, and and the, all the previous... Do, do they all stay on as pets or do you rehome them when a new dog arrives? Um, I've only had to rehome one and yeah. he stayed here for a year but the trouble was he was he had to retire young because he was he was having problems and he was too young. He got bored and you don't want to have a bored German Shepherd on your hands and he was the only one who didn't manage to accommodate to the fact that the, um, somebody had taken his job and he just gradually, the, the longer he was around with nothing to do, the more he bullied Izzy. And Izzy's a very quiet pet. 
And I mean, in the end, I just had to retire him elsewhere oh. because he, he, you know, he was unmercifully bullying her by the end. Well, well. So Izzy but remains. All the others have stayed on with us, yeah. But but Izzy is going to live out her days and happy retirement on Elon Clear. Yeah, indeed yeah. she is. Hopefully, yes, anyway. And it, I'd say even if I drop dead tomorrow, uh, which I hope I won't. What? <laughs> so do we. So do we my, all. My it. friend Vanessa's here, and my friend Vanessa is probably going to be the one who takes her into the parade. I think. Um, because I'll be finishing up stuff here and I want to keep my energy for the session that will follow it. But Camille, for, you're 40 years on Elon Clear. It's, it's, when you came 40 years ago, was that yes. the plan, to stay that long? Um, I, I, permanent is a, is, a, is a strange word. You know, nothing's permanent. Um, but the probability was I would. Yeah, I mean, I came here to farm goats. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And there, there are lots of disadvantages of doing it on an island. I mean, um, you know, transporting stuff in and out and everything is more expensive on an island and so on. But there are also a lot of advantages um, because of the, the, on the whole, our grazing goes on, except in exceptional weather, like last spring. Our, our grazing goes on all year round. It's great land for goats um, because it's very steep. They love it. And they love the, I mean, unlike you know, cattle farmers who have this permanent war with gorse and heather. Um, it's just the opposite for us. We have to protect our gorse and heather on the land for winter feed. For the goats, and yeah. This, this place but I also think I also think living on an island when you're when you're visually impaired, the support that you have around you and that sense of community that exists on an island like you Clear. Oh yeah. I mean in, in one sense that there are Lots of villages on the mainland that have a lot less facilities than we do, and in a strange way, are more remote than we are. You know, the, if if you can drive, you see, of course I can't. Um, you can drive to the next town, or yeah. you can drive to Cork City, and that means you don't need all the facilities in your village. And this is the sad thing because what's happening as tra- as transport is getting more available, um, unfortunately, not public transport. Um, the, the facilities in the individual communities are getting less and the people are draining away as well. Whereas on, on Cape, we're far enough out that either you're here or you're not. Yeah. Do you know what it's I mean? It's, one a, it's or the an other. hour's journey yeah. to the mainland. And so can you tell us how is goat farming business doing? Um, if that's an economic question, yeah. uh, <laughs> it depends on the weather next year. Okay. Last summer was fantastic. Um, but normally, quite frankly, uh, it's it's a problem. I mean, and it's farming is always swings and roundabouts. You know, last summer was great for tourists, so we could sell stuff to them. On the other hand, feed prices went up because of the the weather, you know, because of the drought. So it's it's always swings and roundabouts. But I mean, the main thing, as far as I'm concerned, is I I came here to work with goats and with people, and that's what I've done for forty years. And I will never uh, ever have a chance of being rich, but I didn't intend to particularly I wanted to do what what I enjoyed doing and, that's what and to you're make doing. other people happy and, and I think I've managed to do and, that and long may that can so. continue and you make the most fabulous goat's milk ice cream yeah, yeah, we do. That's that's fairly popular. Very tasty. And, uh, Very tasty, Martine. You've 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 <laughs> you've had some. <laughs> we we also have one. Of, or I I don't know. Wouldn't like to say the only, but certainly um, very rare um, sausages and goat burgers, goat sausages and goat burgers, which are actually made for us by Walsh's butchers in Skibbereen. What do, what dare I ask? It. What does a goat sausage taste like? It, it's very like any other good quality. It, it's probably more like a beef sausage than the pork sausage. Martine, have, Martine, have you had one? 
Oh, no, no, I've had, oh, yeah, the burgers and the sausages are, <laughs> the, the, yeah, they're all very tasty. Are they just, good? Can I, just, can I just briefly say about climate change and Pure yeah. Island? Yeah. That obviously, because obviously there's all that stuff going on today about climate change. And just that um, Cape Clear Island, I know, sir, you had the story yourself there a couple of weeks ago, has been named now as one of the 26 islands around Europe out of the 2020 um, inhabited islands in Europe. Cape has been named as one of the 26 pioneering islands now by the EU Commission's um, Clean Energy for Islands Secretariat. And what that means is that by, in our case, it means that by summer 2020, um, the island will have prepared what they what the commission are calling an, uh, a clean energy transition agenda. So what that means basically is that we're going to make a language plan, we're going to make a, an energy plan around uh, green energy. And part of what we've done in recent years is um, to save energy on the island is that we've rep- had the water mains replaced. Now we were campaigning for that for a number of years, but it's happened, and now the roads are being done at the moment. And the savings, because the water mains have been replaced, is, believe it or not, over 90%. Over 90% of the water was leaking out of the system between, we'll say, the reservoir. Unbelievable. It's absolutely remarkable. I mean, I, I've been here 40 years next summer, and I'd say for at least 30 of those years, we've had water shortages every yeah. summer. I remember that in the summer announcing it and when the, when the students used to be arriving. I mean, it was just a nightmare for, for business owners. And Martin, when it comes to renewable energy, what would you be thinking would be ideal for the island? OK, so a number of things. One is, let's remember that Inon Clara had the first integrated wind energy system in Ireland and indeed one of the first systems of its kind anywhere in Europe or probably in the world, and it was actually a German company, Oregel Systems, GBMH, and the German Department of Energy that funded that project that started in 1987 and ran until almost the mid-90s. But I suppose the mindset around here wasn't the same about renewables at the time, and anyway, but that was a different time, and now we are where we are. So what we're looking to do now, what we're going to be looking to do through our um, renewable energy plan or a green energy plan for Cape Clear as a pioneering island in that project is we're going to the towers obviously and the top is still on one of them of the wind turbines we're going to be looking to get new tops on those we have two um, as a pilot project and a sort of a trial project funded by the NTA the National Transport Authority we have two electric minibuses going to be coming to Cape for public and transport we, yeah yeah right so and just imagine, won't it be fantastic when we have the wind turbines back up and running and that we're using that energy created by the wind on Cape Clear to charge those buses. Unreal. 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 I, I think and as well that the, the great thing about Cape is we, we, one thing we're not short of is, is alternative energy flowing all over us. The problem is capturing it. And I, there, there are now systems, um, I, I'm not sure the, the actual name of the spin-off company, but Glenn Dimplex are actually responsible for um, systems which are will integrate different forms of alternative energy. And I think what we should do as an island is to sit down and talk to them and see whether we can produce some kind of local grid of integrated energy use um, so that maybe we could link up uh, PV panels and maybe if we get a wind power project in the future... Uh, perhaps we could interest some companies Absolutely. trying that out. And so, uh, certainly, sure certainly exciting times ahead. Martine, do you know uh, the times of the ferries that will be running on St. Patrick's Day? Somebody wants to know to get people on and off the island. 
Um, okay, so they can look, they can certainly look at um, Cape Clear Ferries. Um, if they go on to capeclearferries.com, they will see the times. Okay. I think off the top of my head, I'm sure um, St. Patrick's Day being a Sunday, the ferry would be leaving, normally leaving Cape at 11 and then leaving Baltimore at 12. Okay. And, so and the parade, is it? Is it? Look, the parade is at one, you know, ish. ish. I mean, it's Cape, we're talking Cape <laughs> well, time yeah, there, I was so. going to say, this, this being Cape, if people come in on, on the 12 o'clock, they'll definitely be able to get up and start the parade before it starts. And definitely well but, before it finishes. Okay. But Chris, <laughs> just if we're giving out a bit of information about Cape Clear to you, I hope you don't mind if I say, but just that obviously we're getting ready for the summer now, and you mentioned the Irish College and everything. Yeah. Itself, and Collage de Pueblo Clara, um, fully booked for June, more or less fully booked for August, but we still have a few spaces for the July course. Okay. If anyone out there has teenagers but, anxious to come and have a good booking. time on the Atlantic, and no, no place better to go than onto the island Absolutely. for the good. And if I, if I could just Ed, go on. One, one other add in is that, that <laughs> we're having the 40th anniversary party on the 20th of July. Well, can, can, uh, can I? Can you? Can I talk to you before that? Yeah, of course but, you can. Yeah, it's, it's right. You're very welcome to come if you well, can. Well, I tell you, I'll try and put that one in the diary. That would be quite a weekend. Listen, I've got to leave it there, folks. Have a wonderful St. Patrick's Day on Ilong Clear. And thanks a million for joining us in the programme. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, in the last few weeks, a call went out to anyone called Patrick, Patricia, or indeed any variation of those names, to come to Cork's St. Patrick's Bridge tomorrow to celebrate the repair and refurbishment of the bridge. To talk about what is planned, I'm joined by Paul McQuirk of the Cork uh, City Council. Uh, Paul is the uh, City Centre Coordinator. Good afternoon to you, Paul. Good afternoon, uh, and you are very welcome. Now, the bridge is 158 years in existence and you put a call out to get 158 Patricks or Patricias, or as I say, any variation of the name, to come and join you. What has the response been like? Oh, it's been amazing, Patricia. Um, I suppose the reason we did it, first of all, was um, the plaque lane for the refurbishment is tomorrow. And I suppose to make sure or to ensure the public gets to celebrate it as well, we put a call out two weeks ago, as you said, and within 24 hours, we were booked out. Um, <laughs> so we we have uh, we have great um, variations. We have uh, three generations of plastics, uh, ranging from a seven-week-old to uh, a grandfather in his 60s. Uh, we have uh, one gentleman who's turning one Patrick who's turning 80 tomorrow. So um, so, and we have a um, yeah, 12-year-old Paddy, and his grandfather used to be a Lord Mayor. So. And we have a Patricia as well, and uh, whose father was a pastor. Uh, I, I, I knew I would be well represented. And I'm assuming a number of the Patricks and the Patricias will be celebrating birthdays over this weekend. Oh, absolutely. Um, we, we have several people have emailed us to say that over, whether it's tomorrow or Sunday or Monday. They, that they, you know, obviously that's where, where they got the name from as well. So, yeah, 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 there's a number, uh, number in that situation. Okay, and the plan is you're going to try and take a commemorative photo of the 158 yeah, on uh, the 158-year-old yeah. bridge, is that it? Yeah, basically we're meeting up in the Metropole in the Victorian Quarter um, uh, at quarter past 12. They're dressing up as uh, we have 100 costumes for the first 100 of St. Patrick's uh, co- uh, costumes. Okay. So um, uh, they'll put those on and uh, we'll be led down by the Rebel Oak Brass Band from the Metropole down to the bridge uh, where we'll take the photograph. That's a really exciting little thing to get, to get involved with. And then it's you also have a formal bridge opening ceremony. 
We, we do indeed. Um, at 2 o'clock then, Lord Mayor Mick Finn will um, lay the plaque. There, um, and what's really interesting, he'll be using the... A trowel was um, gifted to the city in 1861 with the original bridge, and that's been in the museum ever since. And he'll be using that trowel um, to lay the, lay the final plaque, uh, which is... Uh, he's been practising his, um, his trowel skills for the last few months. <laughs> they kind of get in practice with... Um, so he'll be there with senior uh, management from um, Transport Infrastructure Ireland who funded a large part of the renewal and uh, of the other elected members and Bishop Buckley and Colton will also be an official blessing of the bridge. Tell me about some of the work that you've you've done yeah, on the bridge. It's, it's been hugely detailed work. Um, so I suppose the, the standard, the land standard uh, there was 12 in the original bridge, and over the years, uh, some of those have gone into decay, obviously. Um, so we uh, they were refurbished um, and uh, repaired. So we have um, eight of the original standards and then four additional ones that uh, were, were uh, there was moulds made and they were remade. So we have our back to our 12 uh, lamps. Um, and then there was obviously the stonework itself was really detailed. And so they were, they were all repointed um, and repaired. Um, and actually, there's um, a female uh, stonemason, which is unusual. In, in, in I saw a picture of her on the paper today. Yeah, Julie. Yeah. She's, uh, she's a yeah. German lady, Julie. Uh, so she's been there since the very beginning. Um, and she's obviously, when you're doing that kind of work on a bridge, as uh, you've seen herself, you're um, subject to tides. So you're gonna, when you're doing work on the side of the bridge, you have to be wary of low and high tides. And uh, but it's been incredibly detailed the work, um, and there's been really skilled uh, craftspeople involved from the very beginning to make uh, sure. And the the end result. The end result is beautiful. Like yeah. One of the other aspects I only saw it last night, fully lit for the first time. Um, apart from the um, the twelve lamps, the, the side of the bridge has been there's been some strip lighting put in there. So at that night time, it's it's particularly beautiful as well. Um, so well, a lot of people have an affinity with um, St. Patrick's Bridge, obviously the entranceway into our city. And even as you stand in it, there's kind of four iconic views of Patrick's Hill, down Patrick's Bridge, Shandon Bells out to the west and obviously out to sea. It's a stunning um, piece of sculpture anyway. I was I was so thrilled when I heard that it was going to be uh, extensively refurbished and, and and cleaned. And I know Simon, who uh, Simon Murdoch, who does our breakfast show, uh, was saying he was driving through the city early this morning. Obviously, he's he's out on the road about half four in the morning and uh, he just spoke about seeing it lit and it was with green lights. Yeah, uh, the, um, some of the, the lights that have gone on the carriageways, new lights on the carriageway, the tops of those are green. Yeah. Um, the majority of the air obviously is going to be a nice aesthetic white, but obviously given the weekend that's in it, tops of those are, are being turned green. As have a number, a number of buildings across the city. Yeah. Um, and that was part of tomorrow's festival that we're trying to get people to join into the festival. So, uh, some businesses and organizations have joined into the 158 Cork Paddy. So, for example, Nano Nagel Place is offering free entry for any Patrick's or Patricia's. <laughs> and uh, just in case there's uh, rain, there's never rain Patrick's weekend, but um, St. Peter's in uh, North Main Street are offering free ponchos for any Patrick's or Patricia's or any variation <laughs> as well. Uh, we, get, we get looked after this weekend, that's for sure. Listen, sure, it sure, sounds sure. like it's going to be um, a fabulous ceremony. The time of it for, for, for people who'd like to go along and... Get... Uh, the, the time of the plaque lane is at uh, 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock. Um, 2 o'clock. Okay. And, uh, I suppose before that we'll have the... Um, Okay. And obviously, the rest of this throughout the weekend, obviously, there's pop up music around the streets. 
there's a street market on um, and a place on Saturday and Sunday as well, an, out- an outdoor market as well as all the obviously the um, the shops, existing shops around. So there's plenty of reason to come into town. Okay. All okay. oh, we need is the fine weather, and please God, we'll we'll get some. It's going to be cold, but you're going to wrap up against the cold as long as the rain yeah, doesn't hit. We'll be fine. Listen, enjoy it yourself, Paul, and thanks a million for for talking to us today. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is, or good afternoon as it is, Paul McGuirk, who is the City Centre Coordinator with Cork uh, City Council. And indeed, can I say happy birthday to any of the Patricks or the Patricias who will be celebrating across this weekend into the 158 taking part in that commemorative photograph. I think it's just a lovely, lovely thing to do. And my thanks to the City Council. I, I was invited to go along, but unfortunately, due to a prior arrangement, I can't make it. But I would love to have been there. I really would love to be, have been there. So enjoy that tomorrow everybody going along now can I give a quick mention to Susie who has texted in uh, 0862103103 to say hi Patricia I'm just wondering have any of your listeners had any dealings with Simple Money Finance and I'm wondering are they a legitimate company says uh, Susie so if anybody's had dealings with a company called Simple Money Finance can you share your thoughts with us, please? While the news was on at 12 midday, I had a quick Google search for you, Susie. The first thing, alarm bells started to ring because the Central Bank of Ireland issued warnings against this company. If it's simple money uh, under you, the website will be simplemoney.uk.com. If that's the company, they're a Swiss-based company and they're not authorised as a retail credit firm or a debt management firm by the Central Bank so straight away alarm bells would start to ring there I then went on to the boards.ie who are always great for throwing in their tumpence halfpenny worth and I saw a thread again it's from late 2017 talking about somebody getting approved and how quickly they got approved and any time you get approved for something like that very very quickly I'd always that again would make me a little bit suspicious because often what happens is you'll get approvement so quickly and they do it as a tactic to stop you shopping around and then once they suck you in you're in and then all uh, lots of things then can start to go wrong for you I'm not saying they will but they could go wrong for you it looks like this company are one of the what do they call payday lending companies so it's their interest rate is always quite high and the interest rate here they're looking at roughly about 25% which is one person on the board that IE says no different to your local unfriendly loan shark best advice is to avoid it if you're in need of a loan can I suggest that you head down to your local friendly uh, credit union but just be a little bit wary if it is too good to be true then it probably isn't worth the risk just be very very uh, careful of it but we'll see if anybody else can offer you any further advice that would be my dealing just on the little bit of research I did but if you just google uh, simple money finance there's a whole heap of stuff uh, comes up on it uh, Susie and I know when people get into that situation where you need a loan and you know there's lots of things online on Facebook that will pop up there's loads of these payday uh, payday money lending company and there's lots of um, money lenders and they can be official money lenders but that doesn't mean that they're not going to absolutely fleece you with their interest rate but when you're desperate and you're trying to get money and they make it as easy as possible I can see how people get involved uh, with them please try not to if anybody else can offer advice please to Susie on a company called Simple Money Finance love to hear from you 1850 333 103 The C103 Cork Diary with Cork County Council supporting businesses supporting Supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. 
Fairmount National School. They're holding a fundraising bingo uh, tonight, half past seven in Fairmount National School in Dunamore. Everyone very welcome to attend. Ballyhower and Makra are holding a Father Ted table quiz. Sheen's Bar in Kildallery tonight at half past eight. Tables of four, 20 euro and it's Native Mallow Search and Rescue. Kildallery bingo will be held tonight in the community hall, half past eight. Doors open at eight. While Imokili, Makra and Affirmer are hosting a table quiz in the Sportsman Inn in Mogili tonight. Tables of four raffle with some great prizes. A bingo family night will be held. We've mentioned that in Fairmount. It's come up again. I'll give you the diary. Um, and the annual Daffodil Day in the Bay View in Kilcroham is on this day week, which is Daffodil Day, Friday the 22nd of March. Donations now, though, are required for raffles that they're hoping to host on the day. And staying with Daffodil Day, the Mallow Daffodil Day Committee. They are looking for volunteers to collect on Daffodil Day next Friday if you can spare an hour or two. Can you call to McSweeney Footwear on Main Street to join the rota? You can call them on 086 And a coffee day in aid of Cancer Connect is going on in the Coachman Inn in Baravilla in Skibbereen tomorrow Saturday from 11am to 4pm. To some of your texts and calls coming in, we were talking about St. Patrick's Bridge and the Patricias and the Paddies and the Pat and the Patsies and the Porricks and you can come in any variation of the name all heading down to St. Patrick's Bridge tomorrow for that wonderful photograph well 158 are taking in part in the actual now that's not to stop other Patricias and Patricks uh, going along uh, here's a text saying hi Patricia with all the talk about St. Patrick's Day did you know that St. Patrick had a wife I did not know that St. Patrick's wife was Saint Sheila. We all know behind every successful man there's a great woman. So just sending out a big hello to all the Sheilas out there. And guess what? That's from Sheila in Kilworth. Sheila, have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Uh, Thank you for that. Uh, By call, Mary was on. We were talking about smear tests. Mary says, I went to my doctor regarding the smear test only to be told I'm over 65. The test isn't available to over 65s, which is a disgrace. I'm going to have to go uh, private well, the cervical check isn't available, the free smear test. But yeah, there's a cut off age, but it's the same, isn't it, with all screenings. But you're not alone in complaining about it uh, because Anne says, Patricia, when you're over 60, you they stop doing the free smear tests. Um, now, says Anne, I'm worried about the smear tests I had on previous years. Can I assume that they were all OK? Should one be worried about the results and that I was getting correct, correct results? I would suggest Anne having a chat with your doctor. And if your doctor is anyway nervous, then I would suggest like Mary, you pay privately. You can go and pay privately for a smear. You just you, you just can't get one from cervical check. And I'm assuming if you pay privately, you won't be waiting the 27 weeks, which is what people are waiting at the moment. 1850 OK, now a very special auction will be held tomorrow in Skull with proceeds raised going to the Fastnet Film Festival who have an ambitious project to open a state-of-the-art performance centre in the town. Joining me with some more details, Pauline Cotter from the Fastnet Film Festival. Good afternoon to you, Pauline. Good afternoon to you, Patricia. How are you? Long time, no year. Well, absolutely. Oh, yeah, oh, always great to talk to you. You have been gifted, well, the, the Fastnet Film Festival have been gifted a beautiful old building. Tell me how that all came about. Well, i tell you how it all came about. We have some amazing benefactors. 
when we started, we're going into our 13th year, our 12th year. When we started, um, nobody knew a thing about us. Everybody thought we were crazy putting um, doing a film festival in a village with no screen. Hence, our name, our, our screen is our, our village is our screen. But some lovely people came along, and the old AIB, as you know, they were, um, how do you say, filing down, and they were closing buildings, and they closed this building. And now, just a bit, cut it a long story short, um, some benefactors have bought it, and they have now gifted it to the village, to the film festival. Ah, okay. So and, now and, you, I mean, you have a building. We have a building, but you see, like every building, now we, we've applied for planning permission. We are really, really hoping uh, that the planning permission, I believe there was one slight objection, right? But we are, the whole village is behind it. We've, we've had a petition signed. And by the way, if you're in the area and you know Skull and you live in Skull, um, take an opportunity to sign the petition. One of them is in the lovely harbour uh, the flower shop, and the other one is in Nikki's cafe. And that would tell the planners that we have the support of the village and that this is a very necessary, um, how do you say, extension of the village. Tell, me, tell me the plans for the building. Oh, the plans. We are hoping to have a, a 100-seated auditorium. Now, the seats will not be in situ. They'll be movable. Okay. So that auditorium room can be used for workshops and uh, various different things. It can be used for lectures workshops, you name it. We will have um, a green room. We will have an editing suite. We will have a sound room, if you can understand. We will have all the... We've already um, um, affiliated with about uh, five, six, seven universities that do media studies. And we are hoping eventually that they will be... We've become a part of their curriculum, that the students will come to West Cork for a week and we will bring down one of the rest of the business to do to lecture and to teach them. So it's going to be an art centre. It's going to be more than just a venue for your film festival. Oh, my God, yes. It's going to yeah. be a, a creative centre. There'll be music, there'll be poetry, there will be um, song and dance. That would be funny. But it will be, it, it's going to be, what we really would love it to be also is a production of. We're trying to encourage uh, big films, big budget films to come to West Cork. Why not? But they cannot come to West Cork unless they have a production of. Yeah, yeah. And by us having this facility here, with all the state-of-the-art equipment they need, we will be able to give them the office, the uh, production office. And again, that will convert um, income into the village and income into sustaining the centre. Brings people into rural Ireland, which is what it's, it's all about. Have you um, a, an estimate on how much the plan would cost? Well, it's a very good question. You know yourself, I mean, you're well aware now with party politics that's going on at the moment. I could possibly say it'll cost 200000 and of course, um, as we're not the government, the bill might go up to 500000 600000 I'm joking, of course. Uh, I expect anywhere between the region of uh, three hundred to 400000 Okay. Oh, that's not too bad. That's no, no, that's, that's, the that's itself, realistic. The yeah, there's the a fact you have the building. building. I mean, if you were purchasing the building or purchasing land and then had to build, you'd be in, you'd be uh, you'd be into the millions. But this is this oh is quite great. No, no, no. And but have have people already pledged money, or are people talking about pledging money? Well, we decided. Well, our benefactors are going to pledge some money. We've also been applying to all the various support, uh, councils. Um, we have a gentleman. He is an extraordinary man. He helps us with our application for funding. He's called Tom McCarthy, and he is a very integral part of the village of Skull. I know he's also vying for the harbour thing. 
he's just a really good guy, and we are to him applying for the various different grants, immunity grants that might be there. We also, by the way, which is what I wanted to tell you about, an auction came up with this idea. We spoke to our old friends, David Putman, all the all the people we know, the Stephen Fears, Jim Church, Lenny Abrahamson, the Jerry Stembridge, the Carmel Witches. We spoke to all our friends in the um, business of film, and they we came up with this idea to have a an auction, a memorabilia, film memorabilia auction. This is the one that is and, happening tomorrow. And this is what's happening tomorrow. But also, I, there's somebody... I mean, we have, I'll give you an example. We've just got last night. Nobody knows this yet. You're getting this first, okay? Keen okay. here at Healy, who you well know, has given us an international rugby jersey, which he took and got signed. But we won't have it back until he comes back from, um, where is it, Wales? Yeah, tomorrow. By, uh, he got it signed by the entire 2019 Six Nations squad. Wow. We have that. And he also has done, donated a beautiful plastic knife that he's made. And he, we met, Kian came on board to our friend, um, Single, Single Ferguson, who is Gavinci's and Bacon and Salami's. Uh, they are the most amazing group. We have, we've raised actually um, 7,000 already. So we have 14,000 views on the auction website. And, and can people bid online? Because I'm, I'm, I'm aware that people listening, not everyone's going to be able to go to Skull tomorrow. Oh, no, no, no. No, you can bid up online up to tonight, okay. up to 12 o'clock. So the it's the, how, how do people find out the items that you have? I'll give, I'll give you the, 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 it's the website. Go on to our, um, just open your Facebook page, click Facebook, and you'll get all the details in there. Okay, and people can and see all the items that are going under the hammer. And, and, oh, there's some amazing stuff. And David Parkman, David Parkman gave us his producer's um, um, bag, handbag or case that he had made for him in beautiful leather with his initials on it. Oh. We have a signed Rogue One Star Wars script page uh, by our PC who was in it. We've got Hercule Poirot's moustache. <laughs> Can you believe that? Um, who, gave, who gave you Hercule Poirot's moustache? Well, Patricia Cougan O'Dell. Oh. Extraordinary. She was well a done, Patricia. <laughs> you know Patricia. I do. She, she's a beauty. But she was a makeup artist. Yeah. And uh, her husband... Right, Chris, who has been really fantastic taking all the photographs for the website, they um, they worked on it, and she made them a such. And that is going, that's going, oh, also we have one of the most beautiful things. We have a leather-bound edition of the script for the mission. Now, you may remember, that was David Putman's project, also yeah, Jeremy yeah. Irons was in it. Now, we're hoping that both artists uh, will sign it. There's one thing I also want to tell you about. Uh, to all the people that gave us surprises for the raffles, which we're having tomorrow night, that um, I, I just say thank you. It's going to be very simple. It's a 10-year entry, and that will include your um, auction registration. But even if you don't bid, there's live music, there's drinks, there's nibbles, and there's raffles. Fantastic prizes. It's a fun, Another, it's a fun night out, and that's, uh, that's in Skull. And, and it's, in, it's in the building tomorrow night. There's one more person in my life. If I could just say, okay. I want to say a huge thank you to the local artists. The, art, the artists from the Midland Artist Group just came on board just so willingly. And then there's other artists outside the periphery. We have Christian Fury and Roxanne Smart. And Roxanne is Dublin, Christian is over the island. So we've had so many people that have given.
people to demonstrate. And they want to see this succeed, yeah. which is what I love. OK, we'll talk again about it in the meantime. Good luck with the auction tomorrow, uh, Pauline. And thanks a million for joining us. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Listen, thank, thank you for thank your time. Bye-bye. Thank That's you. Pauline Cotter from the Fastnet Film Festival. Go on to their Facebook page if you want to check out some of the amazing, they really are. I was, on the, I was on the website last night. Incredible array of items. If you are a movie buff, you might be able to bag yourself a bargain at that auction tomorrow night, but you can bid online, as Pauline said, up to tonight. Okay, some of your comments and calls coming in and a few shout outs. McCroom St. Patrick's Day Parade is at half past three on Sunday. The starting point is St. Coleman's Park in McCroom. An email in from Eileen from the Bantry Development and Tourism Office in Bantry uh, to say the theme for the weekend in Bantry is Bantry Goes Green. Sunday at 12 noon, Kyoltis Irish Dancing and the Parade. The There will be a family event with face painting, delicious Irish food in all the hotels, restaurants and bars in uh, Bantry. Sounds like they are going to have a fun weekend. We were talking about the refurbishment work that's going on on St. Patrick's Bridge. Your opportunity tomorrow to go down and see the official opening and reopening of the refurbished bridge, I suppose is the best way to put it. Uh, Mary was on to say, Patricia, the stone for St. Patrick's Bridge was cut. The original stone, I'm assuming this was in my father's backyard in Ballyclaw. The house is in the middle of the village and that is where they cut the stone for St. Patrick's Bridge in that yard. That was the original bridge back in the day and that's 150 years ago. Well done. Well done. The stone is and and if you go, Mary, I don't know when you were last in the city, but go up and take a look at the bridge with all the cleaning work and the pointing that they've done. It looks absolutely incredible and we've been asked to wish the best of luck to all involved in the West Cork Rally this weekend in the Clonakilty area we are once again here at C103 very proud to be their media partners This is the Cork Today replay on C103 to see what's uh, happening at the movies. Our movie reviewer, Mark Malone, joins us over the phone this week. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. You're very welcome. You went to the movies and you watched a movie called Fighting With My Family. And then on DVD streaming is Goosebumps to Haunted Halloween. Now, John Paul tells me that there is no trailer for Fighting With My Family because he couldn't get one that wasn't rude. (laughs) So would you like to explain more and tell us what it's all about? Yeah, it's not that rude, by the way, can I tell you. But, uh, you know, some of the jokes are right are a bit on the, the kind of the dodgy side all right but uh, yeah I mean it's just film I think that can be enjoyed by pretty much 12 up I think you know what I mean so let me make that quite clear the other thing is is that the film it's, it's, a, it's, it's a wrestling movie but of course the film isn't necessarily about wrestling it's about family it's about achieving a dream so um, if, if you're turned off by the idea of it being about wrestling I mean don't I mean this is a movie that is very very entertaining and can be enjoyed by people who don't necessarily like uh, wrestling people like me and based on a true story it's based on a true story yeah and it's extraordinary because I didn't actually get the, apparently there was this documentary made about the family and when The Rock when Dwayne Johnson was in London filming Fast and Furious he saw the um, the documentary on Channel 4 and he thought well, that would make a very very good movie and when you look at, at the very end of the film I'm not giving anything away here that's too much there's, there's not really a spoiler but they do show the actual people involved and it's amazing how well they, um, they the, the actors look like uh, the, the real people it's, it's extraordinary and apparently the film is very very similar to the story so I saw the film first so when I was watching the film I was thinking no sometimes I thought well this must be exaggerated but apparently the, the documentary and the film are very very close together which is very very good and it just goes to show that this family 
is quite an extraordinary family. They come from a working class area of um, of Norwich, and basically a former wrestler played here by Nick Frost. Uh, he makes a living by performing at small venues with his um, his family around the country. Once he has this dream of his kids joining the WWE, which of course is the big, big American version where it's possible to make an awful lot of money. Uh, I didn't grow up watching wrestling. I mean, I remember the first time I ever saw it. It was it was on a ferry coming back from Wales, where of course they would have had British TV, and I remember watching it on television and thinking, "What is this? Why are people watching this?" I could never understand. It was a big, and big it thing. has a huge following. Back well, this well, yeah, British wrestling back in the seventies was huge for a while, and it was all over the television, but not anymore. But I knew some of the people involved, like Giant Haystacks and yeah. Big Daddy and people like this. I knew of them, but I just didn't understand it. And then when the big, big American wrestling came along, I could never identify with it. I don't know why. It was something I never really kind of got into. I think possibly because it's not real. I mean, we know it's not real because uh, you know, and the, the, it's all the it's all staged, isn't it? It is all staged, choreographed. It is all choreographed. But I have to say, I mean, these people are incredible athletes, and they do get hurt. I mean, let's make that quite clear. They get hurt to make as much money as possible. But it's something I've never really kind of warmed to. So I was a bit worried when I came to the film. But I'm glad to be able to say that the film is really, really entertaining. And as I say, it's not really about wrestling at all. It's about family. Uh, so this is directed by Stephen Merchant, who's a really big, tall guy who hangs around with uh, Ricky Gervais all the time. He co-wrote, oh, yeah. He co-wrote yeah. extras and he co-wrote... Uh, oh, he's the very funny. And he's very, very funny. He is, and very, very smart and, and very, very clever. And some years ago, he met The Rock uh, and they were in a film called the, the Tooth Fairy together, uh, which I really liked, by the way. And uh, they become very good friends. And as I say, The Rock saw this um, documentary on TV when he was in London and decided that that would make a pretty pretty good film. And I'm glad to be able to say it has. Um, it, it's not all kind of... Um, uh, sweetness and light the film. I mean, the family comes from a very, very working class background, as I say, from Norwich. Um, the father did have uh, t- prison time. His older son is also in prison as well. Uh, but his younger son and daughter, he really dreams that they would make it to the world wrestling uh, ent- entertainment. And unfortunately, and it, I, I think it's in the trailer, uh, Vince Vaughn comes along. He's holding trials of the O2 and he decides, no, I'll go with the girl, the young boy, isn't coming because he just doesn't have what it takes whereas he believes that she does he doesn't deal with that very well and he too goes off the rails for a while oh wow and and the rock plays himself in it, does he? He does. He's not, I should point out, he's not really in it that often. In fact, there's right. one scene where he's just standing in front of a wall and kind of gives a thumbs up, and you know that was kind of shoehorned in just to get the rock on screen. <laughs> he has one scene which is absolutely terrific, which I think is in the, the trailer as well. And it is very, very entertaining. It's done very, very well at the American Box Office, much to my surprise, because it is a very, very English movie. And um, there aren't a huge amount of kind of big American kind of wrestling stars in the film. Seamus, the Irish guy, does appear all right for a couple of <laughs> and I was hoping John Cena and maybe a few others would, would be in it, but they're not. You just see them on screen every now and then. Um, so, look, if you're turned off by the idea of this being, you know, rather sad and, and, and you know, this kind of working class movie and kind of kitchen sink kind of drama, it isn't. It's a comedy, first and foremost, and based on a true story, which is extraordinary in itself. And it's hugely entertaining. I would recommend anybody to see it. Was it a low enough budget movie, do you think? Or would they spend a lot of money on it? No, I'd say it was probably low budget. I yeah. think they probably didn't, but it has done very well, and it has. Well not only recouped but they've made a huge profit on, a profit on it and I'm glad it did because it's good to see a small little movie like yeah. this which has a lovely story uh, and about really good people and it's good to see them on screen and I really enjoyed it OK well John and it's called Fighting With My Family it's out of the cinema at the moment mark it out of 10 I'll give it 9 9 out yeah. of 10 OK and then you on DVD Goosebumps to Haunted Halloween now this is this, this, it's down here as a comedy is this a horror movie? 
No, what it was, it, I, I, I reviewed the first film. The first film uh, had Jack Black in it. Uh, it was based on the old television series, which I didn't see, uh, but I did see the first film. And it's basically, the, it came out um, very much at a time when people were talking about, you know, producing films that are slightly a little bit scary for kids. I remember there was a film called The Hole out around that time, which was, again, considered to be a kid's film, but I actually thought it was pretty creepy for kids. And the first film, I really, really did enjoy. And again, it was really, really quite creepy and scary at times, but uh, it did hugely well because, uh, first of all, it had a brilliant performance from Jack Black, but the film looked amazing. It kind of very much referenced kind of uh, old 80s kind of uh, horror films, but basically this is a film for kids. And the thing about this one is that it kind of does suffer from kind of serialitis a little bit. I think they kind of sat back and thought, well, what do we do with this one? Will we make it as scary as the last one or will we try and invite more kids in? And I think that's what they've done. So therefore, the scares are light and much, much lighter here, and unfortunately, so are most of, uh, of the laughs, which is a bit of a shame. But having said that, I mean, um, once again, I don't know if you, if you remember, the, uh, anybody who saw the first film know that uh, Slappy the Dummy, the ventriloquist dummy, uh, makes an appearance in this again. And he is kind of pretty creepy, as well, ventriloquist any, does Yeah, are. any of those horror movies that have got those dummies, they're just, oh, the kind of things you, you'd... you'd wake up in the middle of the night dreaming about? Well, I remember there was a film back in 1978 with Anthony Hopkins called uh, Magic and in that he was uh, a ventriloquist where his dummy I came remember to mind. that. And that was pretty creepy. I mean, I yeah. presume it's the doll's eyes. I think that's what it is because they're dead eyes. But then all of a sudden when um, Slappy the Dummy uh, appears and wants to kind of take down humanity, he is quite entertaining and funny. <laughs> but when he first, you know, opens his eyes, I think it could be maybe scary for very young kids. Okay. But as soon as um, he doesn't, um, as soon as he becomes alive, I think, you know, he's kind of cute in a way, but I at the same time really really dangerous and I can tell you that this isn't particularly scary um, it certainly isn't as creepy as maybe the first film but um, I think there is plenty to enjoy here though it's got a lovely kind of 80s look and feel to it uh, you know all the kids are on kind of um, uh, BMX bikes and it's kind of similar to kind of Stranger Things the television series and even, oh yeah yeah even, yeah even the casting is very very similar you know the, the kids that they have on this look like the kids in Stranger Things so I think that was uh, I think that was deliberate it's not as scary as it could be uh, and I'm glad to be able to say Wendy McClendon uh, Covey stars in it she's the mother in the, the Goldbergs and is an actress who I like very very much indeed and it's really really good fun in places it's not as good as the original but I still enjoyed it OK and um, for an age group point of view the fact that you're saying it's not as scary as the previous I, one what, what yeah, age would you pitch I'd it say, at? Well, I'd say well 10, 12 up maybe Yeah, yeah. OK Alright so that's Goosebumps to Haunted Halloween mark that out of 10 I still give it a good 7 though 7 out yeah. of 10 7 out of 10 Alright thank you for that Mark Mark, listen, have, uh, enjoy your bank holiday weekend and we will talk to you again uh, next Friday. Thanks for joining us. That is uh, Mark Malone, our movie uh, reviewer. OK, just a couple of emails to catch up on. Tomorrow, Saturday, a bilingual service of Holy Communion is going to be held at St Mary's Church of Ireland in Dunmanway at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Now, it's the first time that the annual diocesan service in the Diocese of Cork, Cloyne and Ross on the eve of St. Patrick's Day will be held in the church. The church where, let's remember, Sam Maguire attended and is actually laid to rest. The Sam Maguire Community Bells that we've spoken about before here on the programme, they will be rung before the service and the ringing room will be open afterwards for people to go in and have a short tour with some of the bell ringers. They're then 
for the weekend that's in it there'll be a cup on tea and some refreshments after the service for those presents to have a chance to use their cupola focal and meet with other people uh, others that are attending the service will be bilingual with a service sheet given uh, all the liturgy in Irish and in English and the sermon will also be translated so you don't need to be an expert Irish speaker to enjoy this service and everyone is very welcome to come along and thank you to Reverend uh, Cliff Jeffers for emailing and getting all that information in uh, to me. So that's happening. Bilingual service, St Mary's Church of Ireland in Dunmanway tomorrow evening at uh, 8 o'clock. And I've also been asked to give a mention that the usual sing-along, the usual concert in Abbey Jewry Church in uh, Skibbereen, they are moving. This is the West Cork Choral Singers. They are moving to the All Saints Church in League for their Easter concert. They will be joining John Strainers, or they will be singing John Strainers The Crucifixion on the 31st of March. You've got a advanced warning of this at 8 o'clock. As I say the venue, change of venue this year, they're going to be in the All Saints Church in Dreamer League with admission €10 Euro and children will be free. Get your tickets though in plenty of time and the piece is described as the, it's a haunting work for Easter. Mark that one in your diaries please. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for uh, producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. I won't be with you on Monday because it is a bank holiday Monday. I'll be back though on uh, Tuesday morning. Until then, have a great weekend and enjoy your St. Patrick's uh, Day and the bank holiday weekend. Talk to you Tuesday.